Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. We were talking about uh, uh, overcoming offense. Uh, you know, we, we pointed out the scripture that Jesus said that it's impossible, but that offenses should come. I was at, uh, uh, out in California last week and I had an occasion to be offended. So I'm just telling you, offense comes to everyone. I had a preacher out there that for no reason just was rude to me, just completely rude. I think maybe it had to do with politics because when I was out there before, he and I disagreed, you know, on, on some political discussion we were having. And I don't know if, he, if he's held that against me. I don't know. But he was just cold. I mean, just rude. I don't mean just, you know, just a little bit, just rude to me. Well, you know, offense comes to everybody. What are you going to do with it? Amen. That's the, that's the real question that has to be answered is how are we going to respond to offense? Because, because people will do things sometimes that you just don't understand. You just think, well, why in the world is that person behaving so nasty towards me or has done such a thing? Well, you know, there's an answer for it, praise God. Go with me to Mark chapter 11, and this is how we deal with offense when it comes, amen? Mark chapter 11, Jesus said in verse 22, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Jesus is telling us how to operate in faith. He said, have the faith of God, and then he told us how to have it, how to operate in it. Amen? But the very next verse, he says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Well, verse 25 fell from the lips of Jesus, perhaps in the same breath as verse 24. He's still talking, and in verse 24, he said, whatever things you ask, when you pray, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them, and whenever you stand praying. So this can apply to this prayer. Do you see this? In the very next verse, he tells us something very important that impacts our faith. He said, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. For if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This verse is, uh, this is the only place in the four Gospels where Jesus gave any indication of, of what might be a stumbling block to our faith. In no other place where he mentions faith or, or having faith or, or exercising faith does he mention anything that could be a stumbling block to faith except this one place. He's telling us that when it comes to faith, it's necessary to live in forgiveness. 
Listen, if you're not going to be a forgiving person, if you're the kind of person that holds on to a grudge, even minor grudges, even minor things, if you're going to be someone who holds on to grudges, large or small, it will hinder your faith. Well, that was a big endorsement there, but you might as well say amen. It will hinder your faith. There's a reason Jesus made this statement right after. He hadn't forgotten what he was talking about in verse 24. He's still talking about faith, and he says that you, that you need to forgive in order for your faith to work. Now, I know a lot of people have a problem with anything that we do hindering God's blessing in our life. There's a, there's a main, a very strong teaching today that, that wants to minimize anything we can do that, uh, that, that basically says, listen, God blesses us irres- irrespective of what our uh, actions are, our conduct is, and so forth, that uh, none of those things have, any do, have anything to do or have any, have any bearing on God's blessing in our life. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Go with me over to James, the fourth chapter. James chapter 4, in in James 4, in verse number 6, he says, but God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. What this is telling us is that in order for the enemy to... to uh, flee from us in order to live a life where we keep the enemy on the run we must remain submitted to God we, all, we, we a lot of times like to quote resist the devil and he will flee from you but the first part of that's important submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he will flee from you can you see that where he's saying lament and mourn and weep let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom he's talking about humbling yourself In other words, don't be so flippant about areas where you miss it. Don't be so arrogant to think, well, you know, I can live any way I want to and God will bless me anyway. His blessing blessing belongs to us because of the finished work of Christ. God has done everything that is required for us to be blessed, but we can interfere with our blessing by not remaining submitted to him. Now, you know that's true in in every other realm of relationship. Isn't that right? We know from uh, the the, the book of Ephesians, for instance, go over to Ephesians 4 and look at, let's look at verse number 25 through 28 or 29. Verse 25 says, Therefore put away lying, Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, 
but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now notice verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, verse number 27 says to not give place to the devil. He's telling us not to give place. That means that it's possible to give place or, or to give opportunity. He says give no place to the devil. He's simply saying give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him any place to operate in your life. Well, that's, that's something that we have to ensure. It's not God that gives him a place in our lives. We give him a place. Now, would any of you believe that lying to one another would, would give the devil some access in your life? I mean, if you were a person that just told lies or, or, or even just told a lie, wouldn't, wouldn't that give the devil an opportunity? If you consciously lied to somebody, you knew when you're saying it, you were lying. And you just intentionally lie. Would, would that affect your fellowship with the Lord? Well, sure it would. Would it, would it open a door? I'm not saying that he's going to kill you the next day, but I'm saying there, that's an opportunity. Would anybody disagree with that? Well, naturally that's the case. What about stealing? Verse 28, let no one steal. Let him who steals steal no more. Well, would stealing, lying and stealing, would, would those be good, two good recipes for a blessed life? For the blessing of God to just flow, flow, flow freely in your life? No. Amen. Well, these things give an opportunity. No, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, it doesn't take a smart man to figure out that grieving the Holy Spirit would not be a good thing. That it would give the enemy an opportunity in your life. If the Spirit of God, now can the Spirit of God be grieved? Some people have the idea that the Spirit of God's never grieved, that God's never concerned. Anything you do, it's all been taken care of. It's been, it's been forgiven. The blood of Jesus has already covered it. Well, then why would the Spirit of God be grieved? How could the Spirit of God be grieved over something God's forgiven and forgot about? He doesn't even know about it. God the Father sitting on the throne doesn't know about it and the Spirit's over there grieved. He's grieved over something and, and, Father, and Father God doesn't know what he's grieved over. I'm not trying to be funny, but that's how ridiculous things are. No, our conduct matters. Amen. Go over with me to, to Galatians, the fourth, uh, the fifth chapter rather. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 6 says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. The older King James says, But faith which worketh through love. Faith working through love. Listen, faith works through love. And anytime we compromise in our love walk, anytime we hold a grudge, anytime we are unforgiving, amen, 
This will hinder our faith from working because faith doesn't work through unforgiveness. Faith works through love. That's why Jesus in Mark eleven twenty four, when he said, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you're praying, forgive. Why? Because faith works through love. Now, in the day in which we live, the, they're, 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 uh, this teaching, this extreme teaching on grace, and the reason I comment on, on it is that its uh, 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 prevalence is, is growing in the church. Its influence is, is greater and greater almost every week, I hear people. There's this one minister that I've had a lot of discussions with, and uh, you know he, he's always been very... Uh, very much, he, he's a Rhema grad and a friend of mine. He's always been very quick to quote Brother Hagen on things. Now listen, it's not, what Brother, it's not what Brother Hagen believed or didn't believe that matters. It's what the Bible says. And so you don't hear me. A lot of times I will give illustrations that Brother Hagen gave because he had great illustrations. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult for a pastor to give a lot of illustrations because a lot of my illustrations are sitting in front of me. You know, when traveling ministers come, they talk about this person they ministered and that person that did this. Well, you know, pastors can't do that very easily in their own church because those people, listen, if you don't know, if, if, other, if you don't tell anybody about it, though, nobody will know. I've, I've had the occasion where I've had to mention something. You know, somebody said or, or did something that I felt like I needed to correct. But you know what? I never call names. I never tell what it is or who it was, and as long as that person didn't blab about it all over the church, their, their, uh, their identity is safe. They get mad at me, but I wasn't the one that told their story all over the church. Amen. Uh, this, this, this friend of mine, you know, he, he, he always quotes Brother Hagen, but I've noticed that he's, he's gone out of his way to claim that this verse is not true. I don't know how many different ways he said it and how many different versions of it. He said it many, multiple times uh, uh, in his uh, 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 social media that faith doesn't cause, uh, that love doesn't cause faith to work. And when I would get in discussions with him and I would counter him, he would quote something Brother Hagin said. Well, well, Brother Hagin said what this verse says, that, that love hinders, not walking in love hinders your faith. I've noticed that the grace guys now have gone back to all of the verses of Scripture that will directly challenge and rebut their extreme position and explain it away. He said, this verse doesn't mean what it says. It means exactly what it says. Faith working through love. You know, you'd need help to misunderstand that. Amen. Faith works through love. And, and if your love walk is not what it should be, your faith walk won't be what it needs to be. Amen. Well, that's just the truth. Now go with me over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. This is the well-known parable that Jesus gave concerning forgiveness. And, and I know most of you know it and know the implication, implications of it, but we'll read it and, uh, and just point those things out in case somebody hasn't considered these things. 
In Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I wonder which one of the disciples he was talking about. You know, most of their contact was with this, you know, group of 12. You know, anytime you have, anytime you live and travel with people and they get real close to them, there's going to be conflict. So I've just always wondered. I wonder, was it James that ticked him off? I just wonder. He said, uh, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to, up to 70 times seven. That's, that's 49 times. Is that 490 times? 490 times. And that's a challenge. I'll just be honest with you. That's a challenge. I mean, at, at probably the third or fourth time, you would begin to, to, to really uh, question the sincerity of their, of their asking you to forgive them. Isn't that right? You'd say, you don't mean that. You're, you're asking me to forgive you. You intend to do this again. How about 490 times? I think the point was that is there is no limitation on how often we uh, should forgive someone or, or how what the extent of our forgiveness should be. Our grace extended to, to someone else should be without end. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody would even have the gall to come back to me 490 times over the same thing. I, I think most people just being too embarrassed. So I think he's saying that there's no limit, amen, to, to how many times we forgive someone. Then he said, uh, therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, f released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Now, you know, his master didn't take him by the throat. But he treated this, this, felt, this servant of his uh, very shamefully took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, please have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you, to each of you, if from your heart, you do not forgive your brother his trespass. Now, as we've pointed out before, the disparity between these two debts is almost incomprehensible. This first uh, master who came to his servant 
and, and commanded him, he was settling his, account, his accounts, and uh, commanded that his servant owe him what he, uh, pay him what he owed. He owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is a unit of measure in the Bible. And it can be a talent of gold, it can be a talent of silver or other precious metals or even some kind of commodity. A talent is a, is a unit of, of measure. In this parable, since this represents a debt, it's logical to assume that it was either gold or silver because this is what this man owed him. He owed him 10,000 talents. Well, the problem with that is a talent weighed approximately 75 pounds. 10,000 talents would weigh 750,000 pounds or 375 tons. Well, if it's gold, that's just almost unthinkable. At today's gold prices, approximately $1,200 an ounce, that would be $14.4 billion this man owed his master. By comparison, and, he, and the master forgave him, just wiped the debt clean. This, this servant, though, went out and found his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii today would be worth between 17 and $36. 17 to $36. Let's just say $36. He had just been forgiven of a debt of $14.4 billion. And he would not forgive this other man who was indebted to him $36. Let's say it was silver instead of gold. At today's price of around $16 per ounce, 12 million ounces, by the way, 750,000 pounds is 12 million ounces. 12 million ounces of silver at $16 an ounce is still $192 million. $192 million, $36. Let's say it was grain or some other kind of commodity instead of silver, because it could have been. It could have been he owed him, you know, uh, uh, you know 10,000 talents of, of grain. That would have been... Uh, 375 tons of grain. Now, I don't, I don't know how big barns were in Jesus' day, but is anybody, can anybody even guesstimate how many barns or how large a facility it would take to hold uh, 300 and, what did I say? Uh, yeah, 375 tons, 750,000 pounds of grain. That's a lot of grain. In comparison, his servant owed him about a cupcake. I mean, just a little cup of, just a little, you know, not, not even a cup, maybe just a little, little tiny container of grain. And he wouldn't forgive. What Jesus is saying, obviously, is if you, if you relate this to our relationship with God, God has forgiven us a debt that we could never pay. And the only Payment for it is hell. You can't even pay that debt. 
It's, it's a debt that is, it, it bankrupts anything you can think about. Not only did God forgive it, he took the debt. He took that enormous debt that we could never pay. We don't really even fully grasp how badly sin, how, how much of an affront it is to God. We really can't, don't even have a, any kind of a, of a way to, to really grasp what, what the debt of our sin really was. And God put all of that on Christ and wiped our slate clean. And then somebody does some little something that we don't like and we nurture that and we hold on to that. That ought not be. That, that will hinder your fellowship. It will hinder the, the blessings of God coming to you because not because God stops blessing, but because the devil then can get in to your life. You're giving him access to your life. You're opening a door of opportunity to him. Why? Because you've disobeyed the number one commandment of God, which is to love one another. There were all of these commandments in the Old Testament and in the New Testament we have one commandment, just one, love one another. It's the only commandment Jesus, he took all the other commandments and the book of Romans says all the other commandments are all summed up in that one commandment to love one another. We only have one commandment. Well, if, if we violate that commandment of love, it'll hinder us. It'll hinder our faith. It'll hinder our growth in the Lord. It'll hinder how God can use us. There are a lot of different ways that we don't realize that those little things that we nurture, that we just refuse to turn loose of because we just, we just don't want to be gracious towards somebody because we've lost sight of how uh, uh, gracious God has been to us. We lose sight of that. And, uh, and it's a big hindrance. Amen. Now, now, let's go back up to verse number in this same chapter. Let's go back up to verse 15. Before Jesus answered Peter, he had something else to say. Uh, verse 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. It doesn't say go blab it to everybody else. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Well, what about that? You know, in teaching on the local church, you've heard me uh, point out that the word that's translated church is ecclesia. And the word before, before the body of Christ came into existence the word church didn't relate to the body. It wasn't a reference to the body of Christ because there was no body of Christ. And the body of Christ wasn't even uh, 
contemplated. Nobody thought about it. The, the church age and the, and the uh, uh, existence of the church as a body was completely uh, held, kept secret in the Old Testament. There are no references to it in the Old Testament. It wasn't anything that anybody knew about. When Jesus came preaching and he mentioned uh, the church, uh, when he said, you know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church in the 16th chapter. This is in Matthew 16. When Jesus talked about, uh, he said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was the first place and the only place the only time Jesus ever referenced what we know as the church today because he said, my church. Now, when he said that to the disciples, they didn't hear the word church like we do. They heard the word assembly. That's what the word meant. And in, in this word, ecclesia, had two meanings, two connotations. One was religious and one was secular. To the secular world, to the, to the Greek world and the Roman world, the word ecclesia meant an assembly. And it usually referred to a legal assembly like, a, like a, uh, a civic meeting at a town hall or something like that, we would say. The other connotation was religious. For the Jews, they understood that in secular culture, the word just referred to a secular uh, assembly, an official assembly. But to the Jews, this word ecclesia referred to the, the assembly of Israel. When the nation of Israel would assemble together at a great event or even when the, when the nation of Israel assembled in local synagogues, that was an assembly. That was, the, that was the people of Israel coming together. That's what they understood the word ecclesia to, to mean. So when Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my ecclesia, I'm sure the, the, the disciples probably looked at one another and said, what's this? What's his ecclesia? What, what's his assembly? Well, we know that he was talking about the body of Christ, but they didn't know that. Well, what about this word here? See, I, most, most people, you've heard me teach on this, that there's uh, like 110 ref, uh, uses of the word ecclesia in the New Testament. And that... Uh, uh, 80%, I don't know the exact breakdown, it's in my notes, but I've forgotten it. But it's about 87% of the times the word ecclesia is used, it's, it's in reference to the local church. The other times it's in reference to the, the universal church. And then there's a few times it's in reference to the nation of Israel. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm the only person I know that believes this or that I've ever heard say this. I don't believe in verse 17 he's talking about the local church. I don't believe he's talking about the body of Christ. I don't believe he's talking about, I think, just as this is my opinion, I think he was talking about the assembly of Israel. He's talking to Jews who knew nothing about the church. And he said, if he refuses to hear them, then take it to the assembly. But if he refuses to hear the assembly, let him, to be, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, why, why do I feel that way? Go over with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is just my opinion, but I'll tell you why I believe that. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. 
Now, you know, the, the, the epistles were written to take the new covenant and explain it to us. And Paul's uh, teachings contain what is known as the Pauline revelation. Without the Pauline revelation, without the epistles, we would really not understand very much about Jesus' ministry. So Jesus' ministry and what he came to do is really fleshed out and revealed in the epistles. Now, in, in Colossians 3, verse number 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Now, to me, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go to him and rebuke him. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. If not, take one or two witnesses. If he still won't, won't listen to you, tell it to the church. That somehow, that to me, that doesn't mesh with, with these verses. I said, well, Jesus said it. Well, Paul said it. Yeah, but Jesus, that's the Holy Ghost, is the author of all of it. You do realize that the words of Jesus have no more of a validity than the words of Paul. Does everybody understand that? I lost somebody there. The words of Jesus have no more validity than the words of Paul. Let me say it differently. The words of Jesus are no more the word of God than the words of Paul are the word of God. Because it's all inspired utterance. It's all inspired by the Holy Ghost. It's all scripture. I believe Jesus was not talking about us I don't believe it's the will of God that we have that kind of climate in the church where every time somebody does something, we got to go into them and face them down, call them on the carpet. This says, put on mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Listen, as soon as somebody crosses you, you come back to their face and want to call them on the carpet and get two or three people to witness it. That's not very long-suffering. Bearing with one another. Not crawling one another's case. Not confronting one another. He said if any man has a, con- a, a complaint against another, get your buddies to come in, surround him, and, and, and confront him. No, forgive him. As, for, as Christ forgave you, you also forgive him. Now, there is, there, is, there is another side. Listen, there are many sides to every scriptural mountain. Every truth, every every. Topic in the Bible. You, if I'm fair, I have to cover all the sides. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? 
If then you have judgments, now the margin of my Bible says courts. In other words, if you have judgment seats, if you have courts, a courts uh, judgment. If you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now therefore, now notice verse 7. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your own brethren. Now, he is in this verse or in this passage, he is setting a framework for taking your grievances before the church. Whereas in... Colossians, and and we'll read in in Ephesians 2, the the tone is, listen, be merciful, be gracious. If there's a contention, just forgive them. And he even even says the same thing. He says it's utterly, it's already an utter failure that you go to law against one another. Why? Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? In other words, why don't you just forgive somebody? But the, the setting of this passage, to me, seems to indicate that these are not petty differences. That these are differences that are of, of uh, 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 they're, they're great matters. Matters so great that you would take somebody to court. If some, I'm not going to take somebody to court because they, were in, they insulted me. That's a petty matter. Amen. But at the same time, if there's somebody in church and they, maybe you entered into a, to a business deal with somebody and you feel like they cheated you out of $20,000. Let's say it was a real estate transaction. And you feel like they, they cheated you. Let's say you gave somebody some money to do some work. And let's say you hired somebody to work at your house, maybe a, someone who's a craftsman in the church construction, and they came and they didn't do the work, just did a little bit, just did a terrible job, and you gave them $20,000 and they put, they put in about $3,000 worth of work, and when you want your money back, they say, well, I'm sorry, uh, I spent it. Now what? Your faith is going to be challenged a little bit. Now... The greater, listen, the, the, the bigger thing to do is forgive somebody. I'm just telling you, the bigger thing to do is to forgive somebody. Even $20,000. But at the same time, if, if, if that is too big a, a, a hurdle for you, according to this scripture, there is a precedent for getting somebody else in the church involved to, to, to mediate. Is that what he's saying? He's saying don't go to the law, don't go before the courts, handle it inside the church. Well, there ought to be, there ought to be fair-minded people in the church that could, that could uh, uh, judge in a situation like this. But what's the best thing to do? 
You say, well, it depends on if it's my money or not. If it's the other guy, the best thing to do is forgive. But if it's me, maybe not. Listen, I'm just being honest with you. This is where we live. These are real, these are real issues. These things have come up before. They've come up in church where people had a contract and someone didn't, uh, didn't satisfy the contract and, and they came to Pastor Angela and, and I. And we sat down with the parties and we, and we helped them work it out. Well, that's scriptural. And in a case like that, you, you really don't blame someone because a lot of money was involved, a lot of money. And we were able to work with them and, and both parties gave up something. Both parties had to, had to give, had to come off of where they wanted to be and they came to the middle. Both parties went away. Friends maintained their fellowship. Everything in unity was, was, was maintained in the church. Well, that's the way it ought to be. But when it comes to little things like a cup of grain, you know, somebody just mistreats you or said something ugly about you and you don't understand why they, why they said it. Uh, don't go get somebody else. Don't go confront them. Yeah, but I've got scripture for it. I've got scripture for it. Well, I think that scripture, I don't think that scripture was written for the church. I think it was written for the unbelievers. I think it was written to Israel and it was talking about their assembly. Because it certainly doesn't mesh at all with, with the epistles. Teachings of forbearance and walking in love. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, let's look at, at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll close with this. Ephesians 4, we'll pick up where we were. We stopped at the 30th verse. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of, re- of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tender hearted. If I can leave one word with you tonight, it would be the word tender hearted. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ Forgave you $14.4 billion. The big debt. God forgave you everything. Amen. Be tenderhearted. Therefore, verse, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of, of God as dear, as dear children. Some translations read, imitate God just like a child imitates his parents. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Listen, when, when you forgive, when you, when you are, uh, uh, something comes to you that can cause offense, when you choose to be tender-hearted and just say, you know what, I am not going to take that offense, I'm going to forgive, that is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Oh, that is, that is incense. I mean, that's just a, a sweet aroma. Of, that's, that's really an aroma of worship that God inhabits. That we just say, God, you know, be, be tenderhearted towards people. Let it go. And I'm going to say this. When you forgive, what does it mean to forgive somebody? Well, what does it mean when God forgave us? When he forgave it, he forgot it. Not only did he forget it, when God forgave us, he wiped away the obligation 
There was an obligation. The Bible says that the handwriting of ordinances, the law, which was the obligation, we owed God. And God took the handwriting of obligation, says that was, with a, that was against us, and nailed it to the cross. God not only forgave us, he canceled the obligation. That means I don't, I don't have to do penance. I don't, have to, I don't have to do anything to demonstrate to God that, I really, that, I'm, that I'm really sorry because I've confessed he's forgiven, he's released me. You remember the pastor I told you about that, that had uh, uh, held, held a grudge against George Kearns? Remember I told you about that? He kept going back to Pastor Kearns after he apologized. Pastor Kearns said, forget it, you know, you're forgiven, they had fellowship. He said for a, a, quite a while, Every time he would talk to him, he would, he would apologize again. He'd say, Pastor, I, I, mean, I just can't believe how, how, how foolish I was and how deceived I was. And I tell you, I'm just so sorry. And this just kept going on. He said, finally, one day, Pastor Kernstein, he said, now listen, preacher. He said, I love you and I want to fellowship with you, but you're going to have to stop talking about this. The, I forgot, he said, I forgave you and I forgot about it. Now quit bringing it up. God doesn't want us to keep bringing it up. We don't need other people to bring it up. What I'm saying is, if somebody crossed you and did you wrong, if you, if you, if you truly forgive them, you release them. They don't owe you anything. They don't have to do penance around you. Amen. They, they, they don't have to be extra kind. They don't have to show you some favors that some other people don't uh, show you just because they're paying their debt. There, there is no debt. Amen. Forgive them, forget about it, and release them. What it'll do is it'll release us. When we do that, we're the ones that are released. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.